welcome to the Development Policy Centre podcast. In this episode, we bring you the recording of our recent event looking at whether the Sustainable Development Goals can be achieved by 2030. In it, Chris Hoy of ODI released the findings of a recent report on the topic and Joy Kiriakow of Oxfam and Natasha Smith of DFAT acted as discussants. We'll uh, make a start because we've got a lot to get through today. We've only allocated an hour uh, for all these SDGs. Uh, so welcome everyone to this uh, seminar. I'm sure it's the first of um, many seminars that we'll be holding uh, before 2030 on the, uh, on the Sustainable Development Goals. Uh, but it's good to get off to such a um, substantive discussion. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm Stephen Howes and I direct the Development Policy Centre. We're part of the Crawford School and we're hosting uh, today's event. And uh, before we start, let's begin by acknowledging the traditional owners, the Ngunnawal people on whose lands we meet, and uh, by paying our respect to their elders, past and present. Uh, as you might have seen in our blog, we've had a series of um, posts on um, the SDGs, including by some of the people in this room, some of them speaking today, uh, mainly uh, positive, but we had a pretty scathing one up today. So if you haven't seen the Dev Policy blog, uh, have a look. Um, but I say that just because I guess it indicates an area we're interested in, but also to welcome uh, any broader discussion, both from our main speaker and our discussants. Obviously, we've got this excellent uh, ODI report to focus on, uh, but uh, if people want to ask questions or make comments about the SDGs more broadly, I mean, since they've just been agreed, this would be a good time, good time for that discussion as well. So don't, don't hold back. And uh, we'll try and leave time for discussion. I'll ask all the speakers and discussants uh, to be brief. Uh, so we're very happy to welcome uh, Chris Hoy back. He's like welcoming the prodigal son uh, back. He was never here at um, uh, ANU, but I think of all the uh, you know, former AusAid, now DFAT uh, staffers, he was one of the most regular at our uh, conferences and seminars, took a real interest uh, in discussion uh, around aid issues and development policy issues, and it's great to see how he's gone on. He left uh, AusAid DFAT a couple of years ago, went over to Africa, worked for UNICEF, and uh, then uh, went to the UK and has been working with ODI, Overseas Development Institute, and has just uh, written this report, Can the SDGs be achieved by 2030? Which is a pretty important question. And uh, this is the Australian launch of that report. So, Chris, thanks very much for um, we're really looking forward to your presentation. And then uh, we've got two really good uh, discussions. Uh, so, if you've, as I mentioned, the blogs, uh, Joy Kiriako, who's uh, with Oxfam as the National Natural Resources and Finance for Development Advocacy Manager. She wrote, I think, one of the most popular blogs on the SDGs with the uh, Taylor Swift analogy, that the SDGs have grown up, or the MDGs have grown up. Uh, anyway, Joy, thank you very much for agreeing to be a discussant, and then also Natasha Smith. Natasha is the First Assistant Secretary, Multilateral Development and Partnerships Division uh, from DFAT, so she's been deeply involved, uh, as has Australia more broadly, in the uh, process of uh, preparation and now approval of the uh, SDGs. So thank you very much, Natasha, for also agreeing to come and uh, participate. Uh, so I'm going to give Chris uh, 15 to 20 minutes to present his report. Our discussants have, uh, then we'll go straight to the discussants, five to 10 minutes each, and that will leave time for a general discussion. So uh, please join and join me and welcome Chris Hoy. Cool. Thank you very much for that introduction. Um, it's fantastic to be here and uh, uh, I'm a little bit biased, but uh, I actually think being based in London um, with ODI, we get a lot of discussion um, around what's happening with the SDGs, particularly given David Cameron's uh, sort of pivotal role in the high-level uh, panel uh, that sort of set the momentum for what the SDGs would be shaped. Um, so a lot of work has been done for a long time. I actually think that uh, the discussion uh, that has been published on the uh, Development Policy Centre blog has been um, among the most balanced and most helpful and most evidence-based sort of discussion. So it's actually quite an honour to be able to come here and present to uh, what I would consider to be uh, an institution that has had among the best discussion around the SDGs uh, so far. So uh, I want to start off by, I'm guessing everyone in this room is aware of the fact that the SDGs were just signed off to. Um, and I thought that Charles Kenny at the Centre for Global Development did a really good job of summing up uh, effectively uh, the speech of every president um, and prime minister over the weekend in regards to the SDG. So he identified um, a few key dot points. 
Um, so uh, if Charles Kenny, for some other reason, loses his job at Centre for Global Development, um, I think uh, he's got a future in uh, speech writing for politicians. So anyway, um, we celebrate the pro, uh, progress over the last 15 years, incredible progress that was done in regards to the MDGs. We still have a long way to go. We set these goals knowing that they're ambitious. We must meet their ambition. And together, we can. So, anyway, that's... Um, so I'll be running... No, no, so, um, effectively, I think that sums up uh, a lot of the speeches that were given by presidents and prime ministers. But really, at the end of the day, um, I guess the question that comes to mind, the obvious question, is what will that actually take to be met? And can they actually be achieved? So that's what this report is trying to look at, uh, looking at what will it actually take? Can they be achieved? Well, that's sort of more of a question that the reader is left with. Now, um, I should probably caveat before I go any further. So we do have a standardised, beautiful PowerPoint presentation that I could have given you, but I actually feel like uh, the actual online interactive uh, website is much better because of the fact that hopefully you guys will be able to walk away afterwards. And if you're interested in a particular SDG, of which there are many, um, and I can't <laughs> cover them all today, uh, you will actually be able to uh, go have a look for yourself and see sort of uh, what the world's on track and which regions, et cetera, et cetera. So without further ado, I'll dive into it. So effectively, we started off and said, okay, so what is going to be required to achieve the SDGs in terms of changes in business as usual or the sort of acceleration and rapid progress? Uh, so we've sort of set it up by saying there are 17 goals and 169 targets. Now, first of all, we didn't have enough time to be able to do all 169 targets. Um, but also anyone who's actually sat down and looked at the actual goals themselves, you know, you realise that there's a couple of key targets that really are the essence of what's behind that goal. Um, and also some of the targets can't be quantified. So uh, for that reason, uh, we honed in on just one, what we consider to be the key or a key target for each of the goals. So I need to caveat what I'm about to show you, which is to say that this isn't in regards to every single target. This is in regards to sort of the key target that we think best represents the essence of the goal. So uh, we thought, how will we be able to present sort of just the sort of scale of ambition that is required to be able to achieve the SDGs. And we went about it by setting up a scorecard. Um, so scorecards maybe more the American term, I guess like I'd consider being Australian more of a report card. Um, we set it up by saying that um, you know, if you're on track to meet the target, well clearly you should get an A grade, right? Um, if you are on some degree of being um, heading in the right direction, but you need to increase progress, you'll be on a continuum between a B to E grade. And then if you're heading in the wrong direction entirely, an F grade would appear to be appropriate. So if you're interested in the technical <coughs> ins and outs of it, um, more than happy to go into that. Uh, talk about it afterwards if you really want to talk about the ins and outs. But um, and there's also quite a detailed 50-page annex. So anyone who's having trouble sleeping, um, I strongly <laughs> recommend that as a good cure. Um, so without further ado, let's dive into the SDGs uh, as we know them. So how are they graded? Now, we've got 17 goals, and these are the representative targets next to it. So I'm just going to have to scroll down a little bit faster um, so we cover them all. Um, effectively, if you just see below, they're the F grades, climate change and oceans. Um, so what we have here is for each of the different... Um, goals, we have like a rating. So just to be a bit clearer, a B grade represents uh, we're on track to go more than halfway towards the target. And I'll try and really spell it out. So end extreme poverty, based on current trends, if we continue to do what we're doing now, so latest estimate from the UN in 2015 is around 14% of uh, the developing world population in extreme poverty, 
Will we go more than 7% of the way there based upon the best existing projections? So uh, we source the projections from global institutions such as the World Bank, the UN, and occasionally no projections existed um, and we did that in-house simply by looking at current trends over the last decade. Uh, so what we see here is there's sort of three key categories that emerge. We have the B grades here. Uh, which are well and truly on track to go more than halfway. Some of them are getting quite close to being met. Uh, we have the Cs, Ds and Es, which require more than twice as fast the current progress. Some of them, in regards to gender and industrialisation, would need sort of up to 10 times as fast the level of current progress. And then the final uh, category here is the F grades, where they're actually completely heading in the wrong direction. Now, uh, the most obvious thing that one notices when they look at this uh, is no A grades. No goal is on track to being met by 2030. And I should caveat that again as well and say well, goals are meant to raise ambitions and if we were just setting goals that we were already on track to do if we continue current progress, well, then that would seem to be somewhat, um, some could argue, redundant, potentially. So, you know, the aim is to try and ramp up current levels of progress, and that's exactly what the SDGs are going to require. Um, what also uh, does emerge here is that there does seem to be some general categorisation, we could say. Um, in the sort of purple here, uh, these are sort of the unfinished business, largely, of the MDGs, things like health and education. Uh, and then in the sort of next category down, the F grades, these are some of the sort of new things, some of the things that got put on the SDG agenda um, which weren't associated with the MDGs, largely the environmental issues and also inequality. These are the things where the world is way off track. We're literally running away from the SDG target. We will be worse in 2030 than we are now against these targets if we continue the way how we are right now. So to try and helpfully frame this, um, and I'll move on very quickly, but try and helpfully frame this, uh, we've put crude sort of categorization, which is the B grades, we say, will require some scale of reform to actually meet the, uh, the goal. The purple here, uh, we say, will require revolutionary change. Um, maybe some people think that's too strong a word. Uh, Anyway, uh, you know, these are goals that will require dramatic changes in current trends, dramatic acceleration. And then finally, the red category we have uh, require complete reversals. So this is sort of the way how it's set up. Reform, uh, revolution, and reversal. Now I'll try and uh, move into here a little bit quicker and break it down um, a little bit uh, more granular. Uh, now, I think what's really clear is that it's not all doom and gloom. Uh, one thing that is really encouraging uh, to see is that on current trends, amazing progress is expected to occur. Extreme poverty, you know, effectively being meant to be eliminated across much of Asia in, if current trends continue. It's pretty incredible. And, you know, if you go into the report, they have uh, a huge number of sort of these positive messages as well. So I don't get up here today being like doom and gloom. I'm actually more trying to highlight, well, need to improve current levels of progress to meet the SDGs, which are incredibly ambitious. But we are on the way to uh, sort of achieve incredible progress if we keep on doing what we're doing. Um, so I'll just uh, quickly move along here. And as you can see, you can go interact with this yourself and find out a little bit more uh, of the sort of interesting intricacies of the different goals. But I'll just show you an example here. If you come have a look at show projections, we'll just wait for it to load. Um, this is what we mean. When I talk about projections, I won't go into each of these. This is one of the reasons why I wanted to use this so you guys could go have a look for yourself. For extreme poverty, there's been a range of projections that are have been done. And what we see is, uh, uh, this is where we're at now, uh, this is where we want to be, and this is where we're on track to be. And so this is what we did for each of the goals. Um, I'll scroll down. So this is extreme poverty that requires revolution, uh, sorry, requires reform. If we look at a revolution one here, so maternal mortality, you, know, you can see that 
based on our current trends, look at this, like, uh, we're really not going to be make that much improvement. But if we actually want to meet the target, which is 70 deaths per 100,000 live births, uh, gee, a lot's got to change. And then finally, um, if we look at the reversals, you know, I think most people should be able to guess what the graph will look like. Um, I'll just move on to one that shows this clearer. So uh, if we look at, say, slum populations, for example, uh, this is what we're on track. Keep on growing. Uh, but we want to at least stabilise. So we can see very clearly here that if we look at current trends, if we look at the projections that are out there, things aren't looking pretty for a lot of these uh, projections. But uh, it's not a single global story. It's actually quite different between the regions. And uh, this is probably my favourite thing about online storyboard that I wanted to show you guys, is that um, for each of the targets, uh, we can actually go see how far off different regions are. Um, I don't know, just someone... Uh, we can see poverty here, but then I might just show you one, one more uh, um, of a different goal. But we can see how much... Obviously, extreme poverty has been eliminated in the OECD, effectively. Um, Africa, way off track. Incredible progress is expected in um, East Asia and the Pacific, and South Asia, some progress. Uh, you, know, you can go explore for yourself, but effectively, uh, it's, a, it's a mixed bag story. If we actually look at Sub-Saharan Africa, the absolute number of people who are meant to be in extreme poverty is actually meant to increase according to some World Bank projections. So it's quite different to the story in virtually being eliminated in Asia. Uh, so I don't know, does someone, someone want to suggest one of these for me to click on? Health. Health? Okay. Health, actually, that's a, that's a really um, good one to pick on because what we see here is um, maybe a similar story to poverty, um, but we see some uh, nuance here whereby obviously sub-Saharan Africa is way off track are uh, so South Asia making a very slow progress. But actually in East Asia and the Pacific, um, it is actually quite incredible uh, that it's getting very close um, to meeting the target, the global requirement. Um, so I do want to just pick on one thing, which is um, just to illustrate how far behind we are for one of the other um, targets. But so on climate change... <laughs> Everyone is off track. Uh, the, time and time again, we're getting reports uh, that illustrate that clearly uh, climate change needs to be addressed and we can't have increasing emissions across the globe. But every country is projected to have increases in, emission, in emissions uh, except, for the, except for a very, very, very small number. Um, and actually, uh, an example of a country that, uh, and I don't do this to poke cheek, it's like this is a legitimate issue, right? But an example of a country <coughs> that has actually had uh, its admissions fall is Syria, um, because of the fact that production is not occurring. And no one's advocating uh, for, for that. The, the point I'm trying to illustrate, but, is that, like, you know, that is how counter. Our current development model is to sustainable development. Um, anyway, so I just want to draw your attention to, we can tell you a similar story for uh, waste management as well. All countries are meant to see increases in the amount of waste. But finally, I just want to, uh, I feel like told a little bit of a negative story. So we just want to illustrate um, an example of a positive uh, story. So in each of these categories, we see a clear example of... Um, Progress being required. No one's on track. But if we look at the rates of progress that have occurred, yeah, in my original summary of like every president's speech, it's incredible some of the progress that's occurred over the MDG period. Uh, I think this is the right numbers for Vietnam, but like going from 63% or maybe it's 67% of your population in extreme poverty to the latest figure, 2% within a matter of 24 years, incredible progress can occur. Highly unlikely that it can be replicated on a global scale, 
but we know that rapid progress can occur. And just because the global average is on track to achieve certain things doesn't mean that this can't be accelerated. You know, we can have confidence that rapid progress can occur. And it's not just for, say, extreme poverty, which we're close on the target. Um, if we look at, say, a revolution target, maternal mortality, so health, which you highlighted before, it's actually quite interesting um, that if the world, which, as I said, it's more of a thought experiment than actually like, practically saying is, but if the world uh, could replicate the progress of the top 10 performing countries, we would not only meet the SDG target, we would clearly go better than it. Um, similar story in regards to a reversal, which is inequality. Actually, a lot of countries, a large number of countries, have actually experienced growth of the bottom 40% faster than the average. This can be done. It can be achieved. And this is, this is a target, or sorry, this is a goal that we're saying requires a complete reversal at a global... But this isn't beyond the realms of possibility. I'm not saying it can be replicated to a global level, but I feel as though we can have confidence that rapid progress is possible. There is room for, as uh, world leaders were saying, we must meet that ambition. Well, I don't know if we can meet it, but, gee, we can get closer than what we're on track to doing right now and we can take heart in the progress that has been done. Um, I might leave it there for now, and I'm happy to take questions on the panel. Um, this is probably a prettier thing to look at. <laughs> uh, thanks very much, Chris. Covered a lot in a uh, short amount of time. So just hold your questions. We'll go straight to the discussants. Uh, so I'll ask Joey to come up and uh, to say your comments. I might just... Uh, and Ned's going to drive me mad. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's nice. A bit mesmerising. That's right. Maybe we'll just put it on mute because we don't really... Oh, does it have sound? No. And this clock is fast. No, not actually that. <laughs> we have more time. So I think I'm set now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Um, that's all right. Hi, I'm Joy. Um, everyone, I work at Oxfam Australia, um, and I work on international development policy uh, with the team at Oxfam. Um, I also want to acknowledge the Ngunnawal people as the traditional owners of this land before I jump into my comments. Um, so, look, we're in this room after a really incredible weekend, obviously, at the United Nations, um, where an extraordinarily ambitious agenda has been agreed um, and it's an agenda that Oxfam wholeheartedly welcomes and that I wholeheartedly welcome as well. Um, it's very ambitious, though, and um, what we do need, something that has been highlighted by the ODI report, is revolution in some cases and in other cases absolute reversal. So I'm going to talk about two issues that Oxfam works on that both require absolute reversal. And I want to talk a little bit about um, globally what needs to happen to see some of that reversal occur and then also talk a little bit from the Australian perspective what Australia needs to do. But I'll try and keep it not too long so it fits the time. So um, on inequality and climate change, what we can see this ODI report as is a really welcome wake-up call. Seeing all that red that we just saw then on climate um, is actually frightening. It's a little bit frightening. Um, and some of the statistics on inequality are a little bit frightening as well. So um, for Oxfam's own research, probably some of you will have heard this statistic. It's quite quoted quite a lot. But um, today, just 80 wealthy individuals have the same wealth as the poorest half of the world population, so the poorest 3.5 billion. Um, a year ago, it was 85 it's gone down to 80 in a very short period of time. Um, at the same time, Oxfam also projects that by next year, 2016, um, we're going to see the top 1% of the global population holding the same amount of wealth as the poorest 99% combined. Um, and that's also, frankly, quite frightening for a number of reasons and a problem for combating poverty for a number of reasons. Um, in Asia alone, looking down at our region, the ADB estimates that since 1990, an extra 240 million people have been trapped in poverty. Um, they could have been lifted out of extreme poverty 
had it not been for rising economic inequality. And if you look down into the ODI report, um, one of the things it does note, while there is going to be a bit of progress in Asia, what we'll also see in Asia is inequality rise quite a lot in Asia during that time as well. So quite problematic. So what can be done about this? Um, a couple of things, and uh, we can go through them in a bit more detail in the Q&A, but I'll skip through a few. So... Um, First of all, we need real commitments to change tax systems. And that's on a global level, um, but also within countries. So to look at within countries first, we have a situation globally now um, where in a lot of developing countries, national tax systems are broken. We have situations, for example, in Pakistan where the poorest people hold up uh, the national revenue base from tax um, and a lot of very wealthy people pay no tax at all um, because there are flat taxes, a little bit like our GST, you can think of it like that, but as opposed to depending on a progressive tax system. That needs to change. It needs to change in a lot of countries. Um, we also have the situation in a lot of developing countries where excessive tax incentives are given to multinational firms to come and operate in those countries. That needs to stop. People would have probably heard... Um, the experience of Sierra Leone, where in 2012 just six firms were given tax incentives that were equal to nearly 60% of the country's national budget in that year. Um, and since that time, obviously, we've had um, the Ebola outbreak um, occur in that country and a lot of discussion about the lack of public spending on health um, that could have maybe improved some of that. Um, the global tax system also needs... To be addressed, we can't continue to have a situation where developing countries lose about $100 billion a year annually um, due to tax evasion and tax avoidance practices. Um, and that brings me to point two, um, which is about the private sector. They are essential to achieving the sustainable development goals. They are absolutely essential to combating inequality and, of course, to lifting people out of poverty, but they really need to mean business. Um, and by that I mean that um, not only paying their fair share of tax, but also respecting human rights across supply chains and being prepared to pay decent wages for a decent day's work, a living wage, um, as some people might have uh, heard that term. So um, for Oxfam, we see this as the first and one of the most impactful ways that the multinational private sector can actually have an impact on inequality and on that particular goal. Um, Finally, um, and while this goal sits in a global partnership, there's a role for Australian aid in helping to reduce inequality in our region. It bears noting today that right now, Australia is on a trajectory to give just 0.15% of our national income in overseas aid by 2030, the end date of the SDGs when we are supposed to be um, ending poverty. Um, that's a decision for our political leaders, not for people in this room today, but those same leaders did just sign us up to the SDGs and their commitment to increase support from the wealthiest countries um, to the poorest in the world. That is part of the SDGs as well. So Australia is one of the wealthiest, um, needs to lift its game in that area. Absolutely. Um, jumping to the next issue that I wanted to just touch on, um, that's climate change. Um, it was really heartening to see our foreign minister call for strong ambition um, an ongoing momentum at the upcoming Paris UNFCCC climate talks during her address on the SDGs, because this is certainly needed. Um, what we're at, we're at at the moment, um, Oxfam estimates, is on a trajectory to see warming get to about three degrees. Um, and what we'd like to see is for us to be on a trajectory globally to keep it below 1.5 degrees. So that's the kind of ambition and commitment that we would like to see in Paris um, and we'd like to see that trajectory taken forward. Um, for Australia, what we need to do, we believe, is get to zero emissions by, uh, emissions by mid-century. So that's very ambitious and far from what our current commitments are, but we are calling for that big ambition from Australia too and we would hope to see that come about. Um, so just to sum up, so our foreign minister said on the weekend that um, what we need and what the true measurement will be of success for the SDGs is not how much that is promised, but how much it, that is delivered on these new goals. Um, 
Oxfam absolutely agrees. Um, and I think that this ODI report and the presentation that Chris has just given to you all really needs to be seen as um, a rallying call, an example of where we need some very early action, um, particularly on those areas in equality and climate change that I've just mentioned. Thanks. Uh, thanks very much, Joy. And uh, we'll go straight on to Natasha. Thanks very much, Stephen, and uh, to Chris and Joy as well, and uh, join with Stephen and Joy in um, acknowledging the Ngunnawal people and, and their elders past and present um, before I start. Um, a, a few things, and, and really as observations, partly on the OD, ODI report, which I think um, uh, is, a, is a great contribution to the, the debate, the discussion, and the planning that's going to happen now as we embark on implementation of the SDGs now that... Um, I don't tend to tell my team this because they've been slogging away for three years to agree the SDGs, but in a sort of sick way for them, um, uh, the hard work starts now. But I'm not telling the people who uh, have spent um, uh, an incredible amount of their lives and uh, uh, day and night in small rooms in New York negotiating uh, that this week. Um, most of them are having a, a few days off, but... Um, look, the SDGs are ambitious, I agree with all that, and, and they have to be, because if they weren't, you'd be kind of, uh, we'd all be criticising them, because the whole point of them is to actually be stretched targets for us. And um, like the MDGs, um, you know, we've, we've made varying progress on those, and I think we've got varying starting points in, in the SDGs and differing challenges, and differing challenges by goal differing challenges by country and differing challenges by region. And we are going to have to be smart, adaptable and, and focused if we're going to actually collectively achieve them. I would, though, and, and we do this a lot, talk not just about the SDGs. We talk about the 2030 Agenda because there was a very, very important part of the puzzle that happened in July, and that was the Financing for Development Conference. Because it's no good having goals if you don't actually decide the means of achieving them. Uh, and that's, that's fundamentally what the ODI report is telling us, that we're going to have to work out the means to achieve them. And that's what are we going to do in health, but it's also what are we going to do in development financing and what are we going to do about development effectiveness. And that's what ADIS gave us. And so, if you like, uh, it's the SDGs plus, plus FFD gives us the 2030 agenda, and that's fundamentally how we need to think about it. And I'd love an ODI report that actually unpacks the FFD agenda in exactly the same way because I think then we've got the full picture and can actually work out how we match all that together. Um, DRM, I couldn't agree more, Joy. Uh, I worked on Pakistan. most frustrating um, issue to work on in Pakistan is um, domestic resource mobilisation. And that is a key element that has come out of ADIS and the FFD agenda. And we, the Australian government, recognise that um, fundamentally, it's why we joined the ADIS uh, tax initiative and have joined other donors in agreeing to double our uh, spend in domestic resource mobilisation. And it's not an easy place to spend money, let me tell you. But if you get a, a, an intervention and get it right, um, the, the payoff is huge. And um, we've had some success, for instance, in the Philippines around some work we've done there where we've been able to unlock tax dollars. Now, then, of course, you need to make sure that those tax dollars are spent on the right things, otherwise um, you're not having the impact. And that's where things like governance come in, and that's why that's also a very important part of, of our priorities. Um, on the SDGs, uh, I don't want to leave FFD, FFD behind too much, but just to reflect just quickly on a couple of things, I think the buy-in we have for the SDGs is, is really um, unprecedented. I mean, the MDGs didn't have that buy-in. Um, we didn't really have the MDGs from 2000, um, and uh, I was in New York from 2004 to 2008, and I kind of think it was about 2005 that we really kind of got our act together. Um, the SDGs, we start with everyone on board. The process of developing them, while the negotiations were 193 countries in the bowels of the UN, have involved uh, consultations with um, all groups, and it's been civil society, it's been business. Um, and business are um, getting behind this. It's also been the philanthropics. It's also been the general public. Um, you know, uh, just 
I'm fairly new to Twitter, but the number of celebrities that I've seen with a number on their palm over the last uh, few days has been fabulous. Um, and it's been a really good way to learn your SDGs, frankly, um, associating, oh, okay, which, which celebrity is, uh, is which goal? Um, whatever works, uh, whatever works in terms of uh, putting them together. People have criticised, oh, there's 17, there's 169 targets, my goodness, um, you know, we'll need wheelbarrows to cut around the documents of the indicators. Um, you know, welcome to global governance and negotiations is all I can say, um, because there are things in there that are fundamentally important to us and we push really hard. Growth, governance, gender, the peace and governance. And I know it's a shared um, uh, um, favourite goal, I think, Joy, if I read your blog right. Peace and governance was fundamental and was lost. It wasn't even in there in the MDGs. Gender is fundamental, not just in its own goal, but it's throughout the SDG document. It's throughout the FFD document. That's important. Um, and uh, the growth, the economic uh, growth um, perspective and the sustainable economic growth um, were, uh, were other areas that, that we certainly were very strongly behind. Um, but other countries had, had you know, there were, there were countries bringing all of their own priorities and uh, to the process. And... Um, if I also reflect a bit on buy-in, um, I read the PNG statement over the weekend, um, and PNG prioritised climate change and oceans. Um, and PNG has said publicly they're committed to achieving the SDGs. Um, that's going to be critical in this whole process because it's about not just what we're going to do as Australia um, and what we're going to do domestically as well as through our aid and our foreign policy and, and all other policies, but it's how the SDGs are going to help us to actually have those conversations and engage and support our partners across the region to deliver them. Um, I think some of the, 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 the information about East Asia and the Pacific is really heartening, um, but I get a bit concerned when you don't actually look at East Asia and the Pacific because I think then the Pacific gets lost. Uh, and that's why, you know, in terms of where the aid program is going, you're seeing just continued engagement um, in, in a very kind of more traditional development way in the Pacific and a shift uh, for Australia to more of an economic partnership in some of the faster growing parts of Asia. Um, the other thing that I think, and this, this goes to business as usual not going to get us there, is that it's, it's about getting all the players engaged. It's get, about getting all the sources of funding engaged. Um, and, you know, if you just have to look at it, I think it's $5.5 trillion, um, could be released through domestic, domestic resource mobilisation. I think private sector is $5 trillion. Um, and ODA, incredibly important as it is, is $161 billion. So I think in terms of what we can unlock, it's about making sure we're unlocking all of it and all of it is playing the right role. And I think ODA is going to have much more of a catalyst, catalytic role rather than a doing role um, as, as we go forward towards 2030. Um, but the, the, the kind of learning from success is key, um, but so is finding new solutions to old and new problems. And that's where innovation is going to be critical. And it's a word I think that can be thrown around too much, um, but then it's, it's an area of work that can't be done enough. Um, and that's why innovation's been a, a really big priority um, for us as well and, and um, engaging with the private sector, engaging with um, the civil society groups, philanthropic groups, um, the general public, whoever's got good ideas, um, we want to know about them. And, uh, and looking not just at something that's never been done before but perhaps has been done somewhere else and we can bring it to our region and, and scale it up. So maybe I'll leave it there and thanks. Do you want to just go straight to the... Um, oh, okay. yeah. yeah, if I can ask our three uh, speakers to come up to the front. And, um, yeah, thanks, everyone, for keeping to the time limits. We've still got 20 minutes for questions. So, I invite your questions and comments, yeah? Um, I've got... <coughs> I'd like to thank, thank speakers. I'm, I'm Alex Erskine. I'm doing a, a project in Tanzania, a country study in Tanzania of illicit financial flows. And so the whole SDG process has actually been really useful because thank God that it's all come out now rather than the day our report comes out. Incorporate some of these targets. Um, I just want to clarify with Natasha. I looked at the um, what's come out of New York. Well, that's what there is. At least there's a, you know, a document has been approved. 
And I thought that had overwritten what had been agreed in Addis. No, they're, they're a compendium. <laughs> Don't think of that as overwriting. Uh, they are... So the fact that the target, for instance, for, on my topic, illicit yes. financial flows, was greatly diluted in the SDGs um, and is much more specific in um, the Addis Action Plan. Absolutely. Like, no one um, stood up and said, forget Addis, we're now in New York. It's building on Addis for New York. And I think that the key thing is that Addis focused on financing for development and New York was much more about the Sustainable Development Goals. It wasn't one suddenly, you know, just months later replacing the other. Okay. So, so the fact there is much more neutral language and diluted shouldn't... I should ignore that. Look, they're international <laughs> negotiations. I, I'm afraid um, the reason I can be here today is because I'm not on the long haul back from New York. I wasn't. I, I, I can't talk to um, exactly why that m might have happened in that paragraph. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, we have the strong language in Addis on those issues, and that was actually where we put the effort to get that strong language. Um, and that stands. There's no question. Right. Use the target. It's most helpful. Yeah. Anyway, that's very interesting. Other comments, questions? Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, thank you all very much. I'm Janet Han. I'm uh, interested in the good performance, uh, and I'm wondering whether ODI or anybody else, for that matter, is researching how the good performers managed to achieve the outcomes and what lessons there are that may apply. And I realise you can't just you know, wholesale adopt things from one place to another, but there may be some lessons there among the MDG good performers that might be useful for everyone to know about as we go forward. Okay, we'll just take a couple of questions. <laughs> my, my, mine is, in a sense, a slightly sceptical subset of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, the so-called good performers, anybody who gives a percentage which is less than about 10, I think there's a bit of book cooking going on. And so your Vietnam case of 70 to 2... <laughs> That's a bit too good to be true. So the question is, how much is, is this independently verifiable and how much is it national cooking of the books? <coughs> no, I answer that one before you do mine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If they're not really good performers, there's not much to learn. <laughs> Okay, uh, so, okay, well, I'll answer them in reverse order. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, um, uh, all the data is from international comparable sources. Um, and um, I'm not going into, like, I don't have a stance um, on the legitimacy, like, personally, of the data, but it's like, this is the data that the World Bank, the UN, everyone publishes, this is what is the standard numbers. So, I mean, like, you know, take it or leave it, that's the numbers that are out there. Um, in terms of the top performance, uh, I couldn't help but think when you asked that question that uh, some people in ODI actually planted you in the audience because um, ODI actually has had a program for the last five years called Development Progress, um, which has case studies of 50 countries, uh, which has made like spectacular performance over the MDG period across a whole range of areas, health, education, political voice, uh, gender, extreme poverty, inequality, you know, the list goes on and on and on from all around the world. Um, Princeton University has like a Princeton Innovation Societies or something along those lines, um, sort of which is a sm sort of more niche area, but um, I'd strongly recommend you going to the ODI website, developmentprogress.org, uh, uh, 50 countries, including in the Pacific, uh, which have made tremendous progress uh, over the last 15 years. Okay. Yeah. Just, I know it was touched on um, in the speeches, but in terms of reporting on the 169 different indicators, has, has there been serious discussion around how nations like nations in the Pacific, for example, that have relatively small public services, are going to be able to meet those reporting requirements and what assistance might be offered to them to help grow their capacity to do that? Okay. Um, and you mentioned that gender was obviously a kind of interwoven throughout all of the SDGs, and that's great to hear. But I'm particularly interested if information and communication technologies was also interwoven throughout the SDGs, in particular mobile phones and internet. Um, when you, like when they showed the, the chart with all the purple ones, I mean, you could see ICT playing a huge role in 
um, health and education and things like that. So I'm just curious how prevalent they were. Shall I go on reporting? Um, look, a very good question around reporting. Um, the process, while we've had the big party in New York, the process is actually not complete. Uh, the follow-up and review uh, work is actually um, running uh, at least for another six, possibly nine months to work that through. Um, and hopefully that will be less of a negotiation. The Statistical Commission is very involved. We've got the Australian Bureau of Statistics very involved um, uh, in working with us on that. Um, and it is a big worry, and it was an issue with the MDGs as well. I mean, if you, you're going back to the question of do we have verifiable data for the Vietnams of the world, well, we'll probably have a heck of a lot more than we will for Tuvalu or Kiribati or, or others. Um, so there's going to have to be, um, I think, a process of working out what makes most sense. And I think, I haven't read the blog from this morning, but I understand uh, Bill's getting at this issue. Like, will, will we be tying ourselves in knots and spending all our resources counting and reporting and not doing? Um, and that is a risk. And so we have to find something that's going to work. Would I expect a report um, from every country covering 169 uh, targets? No, I wouldn't. Um, you know, someone said to me, oh, but everyone should be, this was at a UN association thing, but no, everyone will have to. And I said, well, you go and tell those landlocked countries they better get their a wriggle on on oceans because, um, <laughs> like, you know, it's got to be about where... And this has to actually, if it's going to work, it's got to be part of national development plans mm -hmm. and it's got to be about how that kind of accountability to publics locally can be strengthened and through that then do this reporting, not something separate for it. But it's going to take a lot. There'll be a really good baseline for those M MDG business unfinished ones. Um, and then there'll be other areas, you know, peace and governance being one of them, where it's going to be quite challenging because, you know, it's hard in, in um, kind of the middle-income countries to get good data on that. So it's going, that's going to be one of the challenges as we go along the process. Just to add something to that... It is, a, it, is, it is a massive challenge, um, but I feel like as well the importance of it needs to be underscored. So um, uh, for Oxfam, I just recently undertook uh, writing a case study on um, trying to look at Timor, Timor-Leste, and how, how it has moved since, um, 2000, well, since 2002 um, to 2015, and it was pretty hard. Um, and I'd have to say, um, Timor, because it has incorporated the, did incorporate the MDGs into its own national development plan and did endeavour to do periodically at a couple of different points national reporting and then national consultation on the MDGs is probably actually quite a good example of, of monitoring of the MDGs. Um, uh, but I, just, I, I guess I just wanted to underscore, however, that... Um, where we can, it's going to be really important to try and put some resources into that because it's very hard to know then what needs more effort if you don't have a measurement. You, know, you don't know how you're going at all. No, it's getting the balance right. Sorry, yeah, not, I wasn't suggesting oh, we don't no, no. do it. Yes, it's, it's, yes. it's a balance, though, and yes. it's going to have to be horses for courses and different countries will take different approaches. We yes. already have programs, as do other donors and NGOs, around helping with data, and that's just going to be, I think, uh, doubly important. So, yeah, so just on the IT thing, so um, supposedly uh, Banking Moon actually has a cheat sheet in his pocket uh, for all 169 uh, targets because uh, there are so many. Um, if he needs one, um, yeah, I mean, like, I'm, like, there's no hope for me remembering all 169. Um, I vaguely recall uh, there being something about internet use um, in one of the targets around the eight to 10 goal mark. Um, so that shows a bit, I guess, some of the complexity. But I guess the issue is that um, I am confident that it has a presence somewhat in the SDGs, uh, the nature of which I'm not 100% mm. certain, but definitely worth having a look at. There, there, is, there has been some global discussions about the data revolution, Probably. Yeah, and I, yeah, and I think I saw it again. I was following a lot of Twitter on the weekend, but I'm not very good at Twitter. Um, more of a tweet than a tweeter, I think, is, is how I <laughs> characterise myself. But um, I'm sure there was something about uh, was it Gates or um, Zuckerberg? Yeah. Um, you know, they they've certainly latched on to that. Mm -hmm. um, I don't. I couldn't tell you that it's actually three over seventeen uh, goals, but um, it's certainly recognised. It's you know, in terms of how it's going to help with education, how it's going to help with a whole range of areas. Mm -hmm. And it, if you Google um, data revolution, there's been a couple of uh, 
conferences where they've tried to bring the private sector and then organisations that like akin to the Australian Bureau mm. of Statistics together to talk about how we might use some of that data. Some of the, the, the challenges um, for a lot of the data, like um, telecommunications data, is owned by private companies. So then there are a whole lot of issues to sort through who could use that, how that can be used. Is it, you know, a whole lot of private, a whole lot of privacy issues, all sorts of things. Um, but it is kind of a global movement that's kicking off um, that I think is one to watch for sure. All right, so for another round of questions, yeah. Uh, my question for uh, Natasha, there's been a lot of discussion about engaging the private sector to meet some of these sustainable development goals, and I feel like there's been a lot of discussion in the development sector of how we engage the private sector, and I wonder what kind of work DFAT does, and also the trade department of DFAT, to engage the private sector to meet the SDGs. Can you just take that with you? Uh, yeah, sorry. Any other questions? Mine's very similar strain. Has there been much work done on how to, I suppose, incentivize private sector to engage with this sort of thing. I mean, the MDGs brought out the concept a lot about corporate social responsibility, but, I mean, there's so much money lying in that and the different trajectories with ODA in Australia and elsewhere as well. What is there any work being done about how you incentivize some buying from the private sector so that you can just talk with it? I mean, it really makes, makes it work faster than too. Yeah, thank you. Um, on the first one, uh, our engagement with the private sector is department-wide, um, and there's a very strong economic diplomacy strategy that um, I think was announced almost two years ago now. Um, so the work we're doing, if you like, on private sector in the development space is building on those engagements. Um, and one of the, the challenges is, of course, policy coherence. So what we're doing on trade, we also need to be kind of looking across. So... Um, there's, and, and we're using, if you like, relationships we have in different parts of the department um, in the engagement we're now doing on the private sector, so from the aid perspective. So there is that happening. I, you know, I think we can always do better. Um, and then outside, of course, is in the portfolio, but outside our department is Austrade and, and engaging them as well. So the, there's kind of lots of different strands, and, and um, uh, we're trying to pull some of that together as we go forward now with, um, there was an announcement at the, uh, on the 31st of uh, August actually around private sector um, engagement um, that uh, you can find on the Minister's uh, website. Um, on incentives for private sector, I think um, uh, there's, there's some work we're doing, there's some work we know we need to think about how doing more and there's, there's, then there's kind of areas that um, we haven't gone near yet, I don't think, but, but if not us then others hopefully will. Um, I think we need to go well beyond corporate social responsibility. That's kind of, that is business as usual. Um, this is about getting businesses involved beyond that. So it's not some little niche part of BHP, but it's BHP that does it. And BHP is a good example. They're, they're one of the companies that are actually embracing the SDGs. So there's, uh, and there's work that we're doing again through the private sector engagement work that the, the, the department um, is engaged in and, and has, has made some announcements and, and had some events around recently. Um, and there's some kind of uh, initiatives in that to try and kind of work out who are the, the private sector companies, for instance, we might engage more in the Pacific. Um, so there's, there's kind of that kind of, uh, I suppose, consultation talking to them. But there's also finding the incentives... Um, and this is more in the development financing space, how do you get the private sector's money in? Um, and that, that sometimes can be brokering. That sometimes has to be looking and helping and seeing whether there's a role, not necessarily for government, but for someone to do uh, kind of uh, helping with the risk profile of investing. Um, I mean, one of the issues in Asia, for instance, isn't that there isn't a lot of money around, but actually it's finding the bankable projects for that money to be invested in. And so a lot of work around private-public partnerships and um, finding and getting projects ready for that investment is, is other ways we do it. But there's, there's, a, there's a whole body of work around this, but that's kind of a few reflections on it. Okay, we've got time for a last... Uh, just hold your thoughts. Last <laughs> <laughs> question, question, Jenny, Ben, because Ben started the series on the <laughs> um, I was just going to mention, like, I've been following the stuff on the weekend as well, and, it, uh, you know, you browse the front pages, I don't think the SDGs are even the biggest story coming out of the UN General Assembly. It's, it's Syria and Obama and Putin are. My question would be, uh, you know, given that the SDGs can't get the limelight and the headlines even on a, on a weekend like that, do you think part of that is 
the part of the messaging around the goals is, is mitigated just by the complexity and the numbers of them. And, for example, as a newspaper editor, it's very hard to get to convey the, the, the gist of them in a way, for example, you could the MPGs with, we're halving poverty in 15 years. I mean, what's the take-home message? Enjoy what's, what's, what's the one sentence message that, that you can hook all of these things together? Or shouldn't we be trying to? Or, or do we need to be more? Do we need to be approaching the way we market in a different way? I think it's a good question to end on. We are out of time, so. <laughs> I'd say, look, show me one newspaper that ever had the MDGs on the front page. <laughs> did, none did. It did. Um, and that's because even with the MDGs, development is really complicated. <laughs> And um, it's hard to make something really complicated um, and generally positive as well, you know, because news is made out of conflict, right? Um, it's hard to make something very complex and also positive um, be on the front page of anything. That's, that's just the reality. Um, that doesn't mean that the MDGs weren't incredibly successful. You know, the UN said they're, most, they're the most successful anti-poverty movement in history and that's a... You know, it's a fair assessment. So, um, uh, I just um, I don't know that there needs to be one singular take-home message. Um, but if there is, you know, I think it's pretty easy to understand ending extreme poverty and that being a goal that we would all like to work towards. So, yeah, that's my thoughts about that. If I could just add it, because I got asked exactly the same question at a UN event, because the SDG <laughs> uh, events and juggernaut started well before last weekend. Um, and I think actually um, we do the whole uh, effort a disservice if we dumb it down just so we can get a byline or a tagline. Um, development's complex, and actually the SDGs kind of embody that in a way the MDGs didn't, and that makes them, you know, frankly less easy to put along the front of a building, let's say, which is what we currently have. Um, I don't quite know what we're going to do on the 1st of January with the SDGs. There's been a lot of suggestions of covering the RG Casey building that I don't know we're going to get very far. Um, but I think, I think we just... And, you know, it means this room has to be filled. Like an ODI event, a launch of the ODI report should fill this room because you've got a whole university of people who should be easy to, to get in. So it's... I can see gaps. I want to be standing up at... So, no, no, but like if you want to get the, the, the newspapers to have it on the front, this is, you know, if I could say preaching to a, a relatively converted group and you're not filling a room. You're like, this Thank is going to... Sorry. Well, you did choose the school holidays, I suppose. So, um, But no, but I mean, like, I'm, I'm being serious. Like, if you, you're not going to get it on the front page of The Australian. Um, we did get... It was on the ABC, um, although it was kind of not a big... You know, there, there, were, there were elements to it. Um, Sam Moston was on Fran. It's on podcast. Share it with all your Twitter friends and Facebook friends. Um, and she did a great job talking about it in a really kind of sensible way. It's, it's now about, you know, there's not going to be a, a, a big bang of getting this message out. It's going to take time. The MDGs took time. Um, the more celebrities on Twitter with a number on their palm will help. Um, you know, we're, we're thinking internally about what do we do internally, what do we do across government, what do we do um, publicly. We've talked to Ackford about that, etc. So, you know, but it's, it's not going good news, and this isn't good news, I suppose you could look at it, but I think it is good news. Good news doesn't make the papers. Um, there's a song that says that somewhere. Um, but, you know, so... When we don't achieve them, it'll probably make the front page. But um, it's it's not going to make the front page when there's the serious. But that's not necessarily where we need it. All right, people answer Chris. Okay, cool. Um, so thank you. I, I really just can't help but touch on the point which you said about incentivising the private sector, and uh, then I'll just quickly address Ben's comment, uh, hopefully in one minute. Um, I, think, I think it's really important, and I want to direct you to the ODR report, Finance in the Future, that just looks at some key goals of the SDGs, uh, health, education, and, uh, and in extreme poverty, particularly the uh, social protection. Um, it's very clear in these elements that a dollar of the private sector is not the same as a dollar of public money, whether that be government or aid. I mean, any... Uh, basic economist uh, sort of not, or economic knowledge knows there's market failures that won't be addressed by the private sector. And I think we need to be very clear about what private sector can and can't do. And I think that report does a really good job of clarifying that in solid economic theory. And the final note I just want to leave on in terms of 
Uh, well, I think it is tremendous that there are 60 people, if I've counted, in this room, um, that you're all here. And I would actually go as far to say, is, well, if we want people to care about the SDGs, there's a revealed preference that you guys are here now. Um, go tell people about it. I think we have a collective responsibility and a collective opportunity to spread the word around the SDGs and make that clearer. And then I think that's the sort of snowball in a momentum we need. But thank you all for your time today. You have been listening to a podcast from the Development Policy Centre. For more information on our work, visit our website at devpolicy.anu.edu.au. To join the conversation on Australian aid, Papua New Guinea and the Pacific, and global development policy, visit our blog at devpolicy.org. At the blog, you can also sign up to our newsletter for all the latest updates or connect with us on social media. Thanks for listening.